hear me. Скажи мне, американец, в чем сила? А вы что, собираетесь на ней жениться? Да. Ух, красота-то какая, лепота. Таможня дает добро. И вообще не называй меня, пожалуйста, Вероника. Кто я? От ныне русские земля единый быть. My name's Ali, and this is the Rus Files Unite podcast, where we watch Russian films and films with a Russian connection. As always, I'm joined by a guest, and today I have a veteran guest of the podcast, Carrie. Hi, Carrie. Hello. Great to have you on here again. Yeah, well, this is a last-minute podcast. You weren't able to arrange another guest, so, you know. Actually, no, it's not a last-minute one, because I, I don't have any deadlines for this one at this point. This is just me trying to get ahead of myself, actually. Oh, sorry. Instead of <laughs> procrastinating, you're thinking ahead. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Um, but anyway, for listeners who this is their first episode or they have just haven't caught any episodes that you've been on before, could you tell us a little bit about you? I am Ali's wife, which is why I'm on so many of these things. Uh, I'm an easy guest to get on, and... You are around, yes. Yeah, I'm I'm physically around, um, and we do watch a lot of movies together on a regular basis. Uh, Ali and I met while we were living in Russia. Um, so you lived there five years, and I was there about six years total. Yeah, and we were friends for a year before we started dating, and... In that year, I feel like we watched quite a lot of stuff. Just mm -hmm. that was well. You started my UK cultural education by making me watch uh, Yes Minister and then Yes Prime Minister. Yeah, probably that was a lot more TV than films. And although Yes Minister is an excellent series, so it wasn't. It's it's comedy. It's great. I highly recommend it. Yeah, although the irony is, it's considerably less farcical than current. British politics. Yeah, that's that's very true. I would love for the you know supreme competence of Jim Hacker right now. <laughs> yeah. In case anyone doesn't know, it's currently March thirtieth, twenty nineteen, when we're recording this. So yesterday was the scheduled Brexit day, and it hasn't happened. And Parliament has rejected every single possible option. So that's why we're saying that things seem to be shambles and a TV character who is characterized as being relatively incompetent is would be a better prime minister and better leadership than what we currently have. Lot. But that's probably enough <laughs> about UK politics on yeah. a Russian movie Ru podcast. A a exactly, yes. Um, I should probably, yeah. yeah we are we in the UK, by the way, because, you know, we have one American accent and one UK accent. So I could see how yes. there might be a bit of confusion there. <laughs> yes. And we also kind of got off the topic of you and your background. <laughs> I studied Russian language and literature in university, so that's how I ended up in Russia. And able to meet me. That was not a goal of going to Russia. <laughs> well, I'm sure it wasn't. Like, like I wasn't particularly in Moscow to find an American bride. Yeah, I mean, most foreigners, who go, foreign guys who go to Russia find a Russian girl. Yeah. <laughs> so I ended up with an American. But... Although on one of the dates we went on, the... the girls at the uh, table next to us. This was, um, we went to a sushi place, or a Japanese place, and got sushi. And 
Allie's Russian was not great yet at the time. He was still in the process of learning. And when you're just starting out, you don't typically memorize all the different types of fish. There are some (laughs) other words that are slightly higher in the priority list in your vocabulary. So I was translating the ones that I knew for him so that he had a better idea of what he'd be ordering. Yeah, because if you go to a sushi restaurant and say, I have fish, please, or a restaurant that serves sushi, you'd be like, yes, well, that's a given. (laughs) Yeah, and you don't want to just point to something and and then have sea urchin when you're not really a big fan of sushi to begin with. Yeah, I mean, I do like sushi, but I haven't had it a ton of times in my life, and back then, I'd maybe had it like once or twice Mm -hmm. before that. So I didn't know what I liked. Yeah. So the girls next to us at the table next to us kind of heard me doing this for him. So then they assumed that I was Russian and he was English and that I was only going on the date with him for his passport. Like that's literally what they said. Yeah. Which of course I missed. I mean, I probably miss now just because my hearing in a crowded room isn't great, but... Yeah, and I figured that you didn't need the... Commentary right there and then. Right there and then, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, you certainly weren't uh, dating me for the face. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, um, yes, how do we segue into the film from there? So the way that you pitched this movie to Umi was that Sophia Loren was in it, and I asked you if that meant that you wanted to ogle her for an hour and a half or two hours or however long this movie is. Yeah, great segue, thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) I mainly, like, I said said that because if I just said, oh, well, it's a film directed by Vittoria De Sica, you'd be like, who the heck's that? No, Sophia Loren is an excellent actress. Right, yes. Um... I haven't seen her in a ton of stuff. I haven't either, but I whatever I have seen her in, she has been excellent. Yeah, I mean, do you remember anything specific? No. Fair enough. The only thing I can recall that I've seen is... I think it was called The Millionaire-S, which was her and Peter Sellers in an adaptation of a George Bernard Shaw play where Peter Sells plays an Indian doctor, so... Brown face? I think so. It was a long time ago that I saw this, but yeah, he's playing an Indian guy. Maybe he was wearing some makeup. Again, not super sensitive casting, but yeah, I've seen that, and I remember that being, you know, fairly witty, but I mean, it's... George Bernard Shaw, that's sort of what you get. Back to the movie we're actually going to watch today. Right. Yes. So the movie we're actually going to watch is called Sunflower. I did not write the Italian down, so I'm sure I'll... (laughs) It's an Italian movie. Yes. In case we haven't made this clear. Yes. Through the fact that the director's name is very Italian and it has Sophia Loren in it. Yes. I mean, she was in plenty of Hollywood films, so it's not a given. But yes... Why, I hear you ask, are we watching an Italian film? Why, Ali? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I realised halfway through that that was a rhetorical <laughs> question I was doing. <laughs> Brilliant podcasting chops there. Yeah, so it is a film about a an Italian couple, again, probably slightly obviously, who are separated in World War Two, because the chap gets sent to the front, and specifically the Eastern Front, i.e. Russia, Soviet Union. I think it might be Ukraine specifically, but yes, Russian-speaking parts. And I think, please, listener, write in and correct me if you know different, I think this was the first foreign film t- that received permission from the Soviet authorities to be shot over there. So that's, you know, just from a historical point of view, that's kind of cool. So I thought, I want to check this out. And also it's a fairly famous director in terms of Italian cinema at that time. I have not seen many Italian films. Have you seen many, Carrie? Not that I know of. So that's probably a no. 
Yeah, <laughs> they they certainly they must have been dubbed if they if if they were because otherwise you would have noticed from you know people speaking a lot of Italian. Yeah, most of the movies that I've seen have been Hollywood. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, so I think we should probably go and watch the film. And considering as neither of us really know much about it. Yeah, the the only thing else I have scribbled down here is that the male lead is Marcello Mastroianni, who is, if I if I'm pronouncing his surname right, who is in some pretty big Italian films of the period. I think he was in La Dolce Vita, which I haven't seen but heard is one of the ones you probably should see at some point if you're, you know, any kind of cinema buff. You and also I- have neorealism scribbled down. I do, yes. Uh, it, t- it turns out this director, Vittorio De Sica, was a director who was in with that kind of group of Italian directors. Could you briefly define neorealism for people who might not know what it is? No, because <laughs> I really don't know enough about it. Um, I mean, essentially it was a like cinema movement in Italy like immediately after World War Two. And that's about as much as I can tell you. Okay. So it's a thing. It is a thing. Right. Okay, so on with the film. But what do we normally say at this point? It's time for dinner. Yeah, come to think about it. that <laughs> When I am a guest on this podcast, we normally do talk about food. Yes, yes. Uh, although you can't talk about Georgian food this time, because... We're having tacos. Yes. <laughs> and there's no Georgian connection. As far as I know. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yes, but what do we usually say apart from <laughs> it's time for dinner? Payechali. Because? It means let's go. Excellent. So, three, two, one. Payechali! Just watched I Girasoli, or Sunflower, but before we let you know what we thought about it, we're going to have a quick summary of the plot. Spoiler warning, massive spoiler warning, it's pretty much impossible to talk about this film at all unless we give away a lot about what actually happens. So, yeah, there's a major plot point where you find out definitely one way or another about a third of the way through the movie so we can't discuss it without giving this away so if you'd really like to watch this movie and be surprised i'm afraid you'll have to go away and watch it now before you can come back yeah i mean i don't think you'll be massively surprised but yeah all right spoiler warning issued Mm -hmm. over to you carrie So the main characters are Giovanna and Antonio. And most of the beginning of the movie is told in flashback, back to when they first met or were dating or just hooking up or whatever. It's hard to tell. I think hooking up is fair. I mean, when we first see them, you get the impression they've known each other maybe a couple hours. Or a few days maximum. Anyway, it's uh, middle of World War II, or at some point during World War Two, and Antonio's about to be sent to Africa, and he's just on a few days' leave. Uh, so he and Giovanna decide to get married. He gets an extra 12 days' leave. At some point during that 12 days, they fall in love, and they want to get him out of having to go to war, so they decide that he's going to act like he's crazy, and so he gets a psychiatric dismissal or or medical exemption from the war it doesn't work and so he gets sent to the russian front line kind of as punishment for trying to get out of 
Yeah. Military he has, service. Yeah, he basically has to volunteer to go to be sent to Russia. And from there, he doesn't come back. So Giovanna spends the next 10, 12, 15 years, you know, questioning every soldier who comes back and trying to find him and, and looking for him. She does eventually find somebody who says, yeah, I was in Ukraine-ish, probably. You're not sure exactly where, because he's trying... He finds a soldier who is with Antonio in Russia, um, but he's like, it was the middle of nowhere, thousands of miles of snow, you know, soldiers all around, death, cold, so much cold. And this other soldier basically says... Antonio just got to the point where he couldn't walk anymore, and he told me to keep going, and so he was just left in the snow, and presumably to die of hypothermia. But Giovanna doesn't believe he's dead, goes to Russia to try and find him, and then the rest of the movie is, will she find him? Won't she find him? Will they be reunited? Won't they be reunited? You know, she spent so much of her adult life living as a widow because... He's missing. He's not listed as dead in the official roles. He's just missing. So what's going to happen? And that's where the rest of the movie unfolds. Excellent. That's a great setup. Thanks, Carrie. And we sort mm-hmm. of haven't spoilt it so far. We haven't yet. <laughs> but we're gonna. But that's that's basically the first third of the movie. The you know, the next two thirds ish skimpy yeah. two thirds. Um, is the issue is resolved? Yeah, because she travels to Russia and finds her answer. Yes, so, awesome. Yeah. So, how would you like it? I liked it. I thought it was really good. Oh, great! Yeah, I sort of had. I mean, there were some problem technical problems with the movie. The version that we watched, the sound wasn't great, so it messed with the music and made the music sound weird. Yeah. Um, there were also some portions that were not translated into English. Like, it was dubbed, which Ali hates anyway. Um, Sorry, Martin, I know you like uh, dubbing. Um, but then... <laughs> Just one of our listeners slash guests. Gotcha. And then, but there were parts where it wasn't dubbed and it would just be the conversation in Italian. Apropos of nothing. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's one point where Giovanna and uh, Antonio were making an omelette together, and I could tell what they were doing just because I spoke enough Spanish and the context clues, but once they got off the topic of making the omelette and they started talking about something else, it's like, nope, nope, can't Spe- get this. Speaking really fast, yeah. Enough cognates between yeah. Spanish and Italian, yeah. While they were talking about the food, but it was just... So that caused a few problems. That was mainly in the first half to third or whatever in the version we watched. So yeah. that that was really annoying and distracting. But that's not the way the director would have intended the movie to be. Yeah. Um <laughs> and that way I think had more to do with the the version the quality of the version that we watched. Yeah. I mean... So as long as you get a version that is fully dubbed into whatever language you would like to listen it to it into. Yes. Or, you know, the original with subtitles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I found that was interesting in, as far as the dubbing. I, I don't know 100%, but I get the impression that Sophia Loren probably dubbed herself. I don't know. I don't know about uh, Martello Mastriani. I don't know whether he spoke English or not, so I don't know whether he did. But But all the Italians had Italian accents. So that was initially a little bit weird. Because mm-hmm. it sort of drew attention to the fact. I mean, I guess it possibly would have been weirder if they were all like, "Oh, hello, my name is Antonio, and I am definitely Italian." Yeah, that would have been weirder. Yeah, but it also, I think that's why I generally prefer subtitles over over the dubbing because you don't have the distracting accents thing. Well, it is a bit weird when the the sounds coming out of the mouths and the actual mouth movements don't match up. Yes. Yeah. And there are, because of the subject matter, there are some times where people are getting pretty irate mm-hmm. and you just feel like it would sound better in Italian. Well, there's um 
I know one person who had an internship at Sesame Street, and their the entire goal of the internship was for them to count how many times the puppets' mouths moved, like opened and shut, so that when they translated Sesame Street into the other languages, they'd be able to make the script fit so that it matched in the other ang- languages what the puppets' mouths were doing in English. Oh my goodness, that sounds excruciating. Well, that's why you give it to the intern to do. (laughs) You wanted to work on Sesame Street. You want to work in film, you get this horrible job. Um, Not that this relates to the movie Sunflower at all, but... Oh, just a random dubbing fact? Yes, random dubbing fact. That's pretty fun. Um, I'm glad you liked it. Mm -hmm. What did you think? Um... I found the pacing slightly odd, like I kept thinking, okay, it's got to nearly be over now. Uh, Although at the same time, knowing there was still quite a lot of minutes to go, just like the story didn't have... So it's a bit Lord of the Ringsy in that it's like, okay, here's the end. Nope, nope, not the end yet. Okay, here's the end. Nope, not the end yet. Yeah, I mean, not as bad as that, but it just didn't feel like... It didn't feel very tightly written, but not necessarily in a bad way. I mean, it felt like it was probably more true to life in that regard. Uh, Yeah, I thought it was very true to life in the way it ended and what happened and how things shook out. Yeah, that was was quite, I guess, believable, although also slightly random. I think we're at the point where it's like, okay, we we can say stuff. We've done enough spoiler warnings. If you're still... If you're going to be upset with us after this, you know, don't, we can't say we didn't tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, that was very, like, it was very random that he ended up going to a prostitute's flat so he could use her phone. So basically, at <laughs> one point, Antonio is alive and he's living in Russia and he's found a new wife and kid. Um, but then he travels back to Italy to see Giovanna. No, no, Carrie. He goes back to see his mother. Oh, yeah, he goes back to see his mother, but really he goes back to see Giovanna and see can they be an item again? Because Giovanna found Antonio and then immediately ran away and got on the train, so they didn't get a chance to talk or anything. And he's like, maybe I could be with her. You know, I spent 12 years, not even 15 years, whatever, not even trying to get back to Italy. But now, now I will try. Um, And then he goes back and then, yeah. You think that he's going to sleep with a prostitute, and as it turns out, he just wants to use her phone. Yeah, it does seem to call like... Giovanna to see if he can hook up with her. Yeah, or <laughs> run away with her, or whatever, or something. Yeah, but then he just goes round to her house and does sad face. Yes. <laughs> I mean, Marcello Mastriani does very good sad face. The acting is really good. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's why I would really have liked to see seen a non-dubbed version just so that that wasn't kind of getting in the i mean you could say subtitles get in the way of the performances a bit but mm-hmm. yeah um well i don't know there was there was definitely a, at least with sophia loren hmm. there was an arc with her character and her movements and her hand gestures and the way she was in the beginning of the movie versus well before she knew what happened to Antonio versus after hmm. she found him. Because okay. I, f- I found that her hand gestures and her movements and just the way she acted like it was bigger and more what you would say stereotypically Italian with the way she gestured with her hands. Hmm. Um, and then afterwards, she's quieter and... A bit more subdued. Subdued is, is a good word for it. Yeah. I it's mean- like she doesn't start grieving, really. Uh, like... She, even though she's wears mourning while he's disappeared and she can't find him, it's not like she's really grieving because she thinks he's still alive. Yeah. And then after she finds out what's truly happened to him, she stops wearing black and she's no longer officially in mourning. But there's something about her behavior and the way she gestures that becomes different. Mm, okay. Huh, that makes me want to watch it again to see if I could notice that. Yeah. Mm. And the hairstyle, it goes from, you know, very short when she was younger to wearing it up and back to then, 
you know, finds Antonio, then she starts wearing it down again. Oh, yeah. And well, I definitely in, noticed the hair. <laughs> but then in the final scene, she's wearing it up again. Mm. How did you feel about him as a character and his uh, choices, shall we say? I thought he was a bit of a jerk. Yeah. He leaves her. He leaves his next... Well, basically, Masha becomes his wife. Yeah. Essentially. And then he's, like, ready to leave Masha. Like, he's just... I don't know. It, it is sad in that it's like a, it's very much a what could have been. What yeah. could have been with his life, with Antonio's life and Giovanna's life, if they had been just allowed to live together and get married and, and world events hadn't ripped them apart. Mm. Because war is, you know, I don't want to dismiss World War Two and act like it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal to have been a soldier on the Eastern Front during that war. Like that was, of course, it could mess with your head. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because the film, in some ways, is not that interested in going into much detail about the war, but it does enough to be like, okay, this was terrible. This was mm-hmm. a really bad thing to have gotten caught up in. Yeah. So so I don't want to be all like, well, he of course he should have gone right back to her and it should have been, you know, an easy choice. And it, it, how could he have struggled with anything? Because, no, he did go through something that was incredibly difficult. But he builds a life with another woman and has a kid and a, a nice little house and all this other stuff. And meanwhile, his wife back home is mourning, like, has pressed the pause button on her life yeah. entirely while she's waiting for him. Yeah. I I mean, you talk about, like, alternative lives. Mm. The other alternative is if she'd not gone to Russia at all, or she'd gone to Russia and not managed to track him down, which is also a likely outcome. Yeah. It, it just seems like everyone would have been so much happier if they'd, you know, she'd not actually... I don't know. Because Do you think she, she would have just cont- continued to, like, not move on with her life if um, if there wasn't a, like, someone said, oh, yeah, no, he's definitely dead. Even if, obviously, it would have had to have been a case of mistaken identity, but... No, I think I think that she needed, for her sake, with getting being able to get on with her life, she needed some sort of definitive, oh, that, look, there he is, he's alive, or some sort of definitive, no, look, there's his grave, he's dead. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The, but, like, found somebody who buried him or something, and then she could have gone on and... Yeah. I don't think she would have been happy that he was dead, but, I, mm. but like, it w- she would have had closure. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe if she'd just gone to Russia, never found conclusively one way or the other, maybe she would have continued to, like you say, live life on pause. But, I mean, for, for Antonio, and certainly for Marsha... Um, Antonio's new wife. Russian wife. Russian, yeah, second wife, yeah. That would have been happier. Because I feel so bad for her. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you've had this, you saved this guy's life, you've been with him for years and years, have a, what, like, four or five-year-old kid? I would have said a bit older than that, but still. Yeah. And then he's just like, oh, this woman's turned up. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to be sad all the time. Yeah. Which, I mean, I don't know. And a significant amount of time elapses between him, Giovanna, finding him for the first time and him then traveling to Italy. Yeah. Yeah. Because they establish very well traveling outside of the Soviet Union during, you know, for most of the Soviet period is not easy. They don't particularly want to let you just go. Mm -hmm. And, And it's, I don't want to give this part away. But they do make it very clear in the movie that time has passed. Mm, yeah. Quite, it's not like he he runs after her a month later. It's significant time has passed between that meeting and then being able to go to Italy. Yeah, it is interesting because in some ways it's kind of like you were together for 12 days. Yeah, you're together for 12 days and that... 12 or maybe two weeks maximum yeah and that after that two weeks completely uh or sent their lives on completely different trajectories 
Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like almost that defined the rest of their lives in a sense. Mm-hmm. But it was it was interesting how their lives kind of then paralleled in Russia and Italy. So, for example, they both start out in well in in Italy. It was in Antonio's village, and you know it's kind of this rustic house in the village. And mm. Antonio and Masha live in this rustic house outside of Moscow. And then you see Antonio and Masha move into or get moved into a nice new apartment. Which is made a big deal of. Yeah, which is made a big deal of. And, and it would be a big deal to move oh, yeah. from that little rustic house to new apartment. And also, you know, after Giovanna comes back from Russia, she moves to a city, you know, moves out of the village, moves out of Antonio, the house she'd been in with Antonio, and moves into a fairly modern apartment in the city as well. Yeah, but you get the impression that she'd been a city dweller before because he makes a big deal about how she's Neapolitan. Yeah, And that she's more of like a... I mean, they never use the term city slicker, but is more sophisticated. Um, I don't know, but she's not rich. No, no, she's not rich, but... She, I don't know, I guess... Because she's a seamstress. She says, you know, I'm a seamstress, I pay my own way. Yeah, yeah. But living with relatives. Yeah, that's right. I think she says something about how she was better off... When when Dad was still still alive alive or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But she's initially... And Dad was a barber, was it? Yes. So they wouldn't have been raking it in. No, no, but... Maybe lower middle class to middle class. Yeah, but still city life... Probably very different from small rural, village, yeah. especially back then. Mm-hmm. Although she's like, "Oh, you're a farmer," and he's like, "No, no, I'm not a farmer. Look at these hands. <laughs> I'm an electrician or a plumber or whatever he is. Yeah, some sort of trade. He's an electrician. He's saying he's a plumber, Carrie, just because he's Italian. Sorry, I, I don't get that one. It's a me, a Mario. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> See, I wasn't thinking that at all. Sorry, I've just ruined the podcast. Yes, you have. You completely ruined it. Shame on you. Right. Okay. Uh, let's just pull it together. Um, yeah, I. I mean, the relationship was definitely very. I believed it, even though I thought like their choices were kind of. Stupid. Yeah, getting married after you've basically known each other for, like, two days is stupid. Yeah, but they do make the point of, like, it's not like we were the only ones. Yeah, they do make a point of a lot of people seemed to be getting married in order to get the 12 days of leave. And she said, well, you know, 12 days, the war might be over anyway, which is kind of like, I don't know whether that's just a joke on her part or whether that's genuinely... Like at that point, Italy was looking so like like they were going to cave, or the, nobody thought that it would spiral into a huge world war like World War One had been. But it, it seemed like the there was a the bridge bombing completely changed her mind. Yeah, I mean, I I get the impression that by the time they meet, Italy's kind of in the thick of things. I mean, just judging by the fact that it's far enough along in the war that presumably the British can be bombing Italy because it took them a while to get to the point where they could True. launch. I'm guessing that was would have been attack launched from Malta, but I could be wrong. Well, it, I mean, yeah. there's, there's no way. That point of the plot doesn't seem to be really important. No, no. But it, it did seem like the war hadn't really touched them as in they hadn't seen anything and then they're going for a walk and they see a bridge get bombed. Yeah, them as individuals, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah I suppose so. Because um, it's not like he'd done a tour of duty before. I think he just got called up. Yeah, it, it's not clear and I don't think it really matters. Yeah, and also he seems a little bit on the older end. So maybe that's... Yeah, what... early 30s. I think that he says somewhere in there. Yeah, I mean, he's supposed to be early 30s. although At he... the beginning of the movie, yeah. Yeah, although he looks about 40 at the beginning. Well, I think, you know, at his end age is supposed to be late 40s, so... Yeah. Mid to late 
40s or something. So that makes more of a... I think they cast the actors to be the age they're supposed to be. Yeah. For the quote-unquote end. Although the end is like the last two-thirds of the movie. So... Yeah. Which does make more sense. Yes. Yes. Although Sophia Loren does a better job of being able to look younger for the beginning of the movie and then age as the movie goes on, even though she's basically incredibly beautiful throughout. So, Yeah, yeah. a lot of us watching it was you just going, Sophia Loren is gorgeous. <laughs> well, it's just like she just throws on whatever dress, and you can sometimes, like, you'll see her getting dressed, and she just puts on this wrap dress, and suddenly she looks incredibly amazing. Yeah. As opposed to just the slip or whatever baggy, shapeless whatever she had been wearing before. Yeah, I mean, you did have issues early on with some of the costuming choices. Oh, yeah, there's one point in which her bra strap gets cut or her dress opened a little bit. And so it's just like, and Sophia Loren was an amply endowed woman, let's say. And it's just kind of like you'd you'd cover up a little bit more if you were then going to run like that, because that would not be comfortable to run with your bra strap broken. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is kind of like the director is like, no, no, it's fine. We just want to keep things the way they are. Yeah. Yeah. To yeah. have her costumed like this with an extremely deep V is a good choice. It will be appreciated by half the audience, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that's not totally cool. But that was really like this was not a, a movie that was all about sex and how much skin can i get away with showing that no, wasn't the main no. focus of it it wasn't but you do also get the impression that for the 12 days before he's shipped off to the front mm-hmm. that's pretty much all that they're doing apart from when he makes the omelet yeah basically because there's one point they're like I don't even know what day it is, or whether it's six o'clock in the morning or six o'clock in the evening, so... Yeah. So, I mean, maybe that's why he was... <laughs> Sorry, I'm just being crude now. Why he was so eager to get back. What do you mean? I don't well, understand. Well, you know, when he's when he's deciding that actually he's going to leave his current wife and small child and go back to Italy to see if he can make things work. Maybe that's the re... I mean, I was being flippant saying, oh, well, we'll just have sex all the time. But I think maybe that is part of the problem with his comparison between the two relationships is he had, like, this mm. one very short, very intense period of relationship with Giovanna, whereas he's been, what, like... It's never properly, or never clearly established, but... 10 to 15 years. Yeah. Has a kid. Yeah, they specifically reference the fact that Stalin's dead, and certainly they wouldn't have been letting foreigners in prior to Stalin dying. So yeah, it's... it's so that's, that's why 10, we keep... 10, 12 years minimum. So mm -hmm. he's been with his current wife for 10 years plus, and had all like the ups and downs of relationship mm -hmm. and, you know, life being difficult mm -hmm. and boring at times. And yeah, it's been like a normal, real relationship versus like... Honeymoon and that's it. Honeymoon and chilling out and being in bed the whole time <laughs> and mm -hmm. drinking lots of wine. Yeah. And yeah, but you don't know. But Giovanna also clearly loved him. Mm. Oh yeah, and was willing to wait and put her life on hold for years. Yeah, I find wait that's, for him to come back. That is really interesting because you think that you know, several years after the war, she just like come to the conclusion, nah, probably not coming back. Well, it depends on how... I don't know what the attitude of Italians was towards war widows. Mm, yeah, whether it was like, he died for the country, so you shouldn't marry anyone else, because that would be cheating on... I don't know whether they had that attitude. Well, because I mean, when she does come back, 
she, at first she doesn't tell and when she comes back from Russia after seeing Antonio, she at first doesn't tell Antonio's mom that he's still alive. Mm. Or at least you get the impression from that from their conversation because Antonio's mom calls her a whore. Yeah. Because she stopped wearing mourning, she has her hair down, she went on a date with a guy. Yeah. He's like, so I don't know if she calls her a whore because it's like, well, your husband's dead and you're kind of married forever, eternally to this dead guy. And that, but then Giovanna comes right back with, he's alive and he's got another wife and a kid. And she's like, oh. Yeah. So it's, I, I don't know if she would have been expected in Italy to have just been permanently wedded to him and like that was her life yeah i have no idea so <laughs> i don't know if we have any italian listeners who know anything about world war Two. yeah because i imagine they have like quite a i mean ambivalent attitude about it because well and it's it's hard to tell what would have the attitude have been right after the war yeah more towards the the um widows of soldiers who died and how would that have been treated versus later versus, yeah. you know. Because basically, you know, she would have widowed at like 20 and then have to spend the next 40 to 50 years of your life essentially living as a widow. That would be pretty harsh. Yeah. yeah. But it would be easier to handle if you were, in fact, a widow as opposed to, nah, my husband just left me. Yeah. For someone else. Yeah. And he's getting to have, you know, a spouse... And a child and everything that I would have wanted to have, but don't get to have because I'm waiting for you to come back and you can't be bothered to come back. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's fair to say it's, it's a pretty intense film in terms of the emotional stuff that's going on. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, I did want to talk, it's probably a little anticlimactic, but something about a little bit about the visuals. How did you like those? There are a number of sweeping shots, especially in Russia, with mm. regards to the landscape. So you get yeah. some sweeping shots across the snow, um, and with the soldiers marching and everything. It, it reminded me a bit of um, the one that we watched that was War and Peace. Oh, yeah. Because like, you have Napoleon's army, and like the guys are dropping dead. Oh, yeah. As they're marching back in the snow, and it's the same with this. Like People are dropping of hypothermia and whatnot as they're marching in the snow. Including... Antonio. Yeah, including Antonio. Until he gets to make involuntary giant snow angels. Yes, <laughs> as he's being dragged across the snow. Yeah. Um, and then there are sweeping shots of sunflower fields, like just field after field. Like, no, it's just one giant field of sunflowers. Yeah, and it's a wraparound. The first thing mm -hmm. we see is sunflowers, and the end is... so. In case and you're in the middle, there's sunflowers. Yeah, like, there's just lots of sunflowers. So in case you're wondering... No, it's not a figurative title. <laughs> no, it's like literally lots of sunflowers. Yeah, I, I love, I mean, loved is probably slightly ill-chosen word in the circumstances, but the sweeping shot of the birch crosses all mm. across those hillsides of where the Italian soldiers had been. Yeah. That was like, oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. And the... That that really, yeah, that did get you, because it was a bit more... It brought home a bit of the numbers of just how many yeah. there were. Because um, it's a very, like, most of it focuses very much in on a very small handful of characters. It's mainly just the two of them, plus Antonio's mother, plus uh, Marsha, his new, his Russian wife. Mm-hmm. And a couple of, like other characters but that gives you some of the of the scale mm -hmm. i thought the the scene you briefly mentioned it in the summary of antonio being left behind by his comrade that was like really heart-wrenching because mm -hmm. the guy like he does he really tries yeah he really tries to carry antonio but antonio is just like i don't know he's he's kind of half dead he's he's not moving and the and the guy is just like it's obviously never said but you just get the look on his face and he at the point where he realizes either i can leave this guy behind to die or i can continue 
trying to help him, and we'll both freeze to death. Mm-hmm. And that's really that's really awful. But yeah. yeah, that whole brief actual war sequence is really it's really efficiently done. Mm-hmm. On the other scenery shots to wrench it slightly to a lighter topic, the they do a lot of juxtaposition of the old Russian churches with the onion domes mm. and the um more industrial bits of Moscow. Mm, yeah, they do. Um, and back and forth between those buildings or train tracks and versus the little old wooden houses and yeah. just going back and forth between those. So that was kind of atmospheric in a jarring way. Yeah, well, in that you kind of get whiplash from stuff that looks sort of like it could have been there, you know, a hundred years, well, hundreds of years some in some cases mm-hmm. to stuff that that would have been modern for that time yeah when it was shot or yeah not long before when it was shot yeah and in, in one shot i saw there was a whole bunch of cranes up mm-hmm. so you definitely get the impression of like moscow is a city that is being like built up at the time yeah yeah and it was stuff that was now Ali and I would think, well, that's very central Moscow. Mm. Um, but then it's like, okay, it's it's gradually expanding it's out. It's outskirts to... at yeah. this point. Yeah. 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 yeah, and it was interesting just getting to see Russia from that period in a non-Russian film. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. pretty cool. And it didn't, to me anyway, it didn't feel super like, we're just showing you the nice idealistic bits and, mm-hmm. you know, you get, there is some kind of like dirt under the fingernails, I suppose. Yeah. Like you get some very kind of tumble down bits of village where you have roofs that are just like, I don't know, corrugated iron kind of strapped on. Or thatch. Yeah. Or... Well, the thatch looks quite like rustic and pleasant. Picturesque. Yeah. But there are a lot of dirt roads. Yeah. Yeah. So... So I, I found it interesting that they're not, like, t- totally trying to manicure everything and mm-hmm. make it look like, look how much more advanced the Soviet Union is than everywhere else. We're super futuristic. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting. I I mentioned this when we were watching the film. During some of the, like, actual battle sequences, which there aren't very many. There's one. Yeah. There's really just one. They have like a red flag superimposed across the top of it. It's kind of like that was kind of weird. Yeah, I don't know whether this is like a direct. The, I don't know anything about the director, let alone their politics. So I'd be interested to know whether they were like a leftist and were like, "Yay, go communists!" But uh, or whether it's just we'll stick a red flag on here so it's clear it's it's the Soviet troops attacking the Italians because it's you know people's uniforms aren't super clear but it was it was interesting and very unusual to see them attacking like on skis and with tommy guns yeah it it has all of the russian troops looking very much alike because you don't see any faces they're just all in these white snowsuits they parachute in they put on their cross country skis they have their tommy guns and then they ski into battle yeah which which is kind of weird. I mean, I'd never heard of the actual paratrooping bit, but I did know from listening to the Dan Carlin uh, Ghosts of the Ostfront series that yeah, the the Russians did in some places ski into battle and and also did cavalry charges, which you don't think of something as of as something that would happen in World War Two, but <laughs> it it did in some places just because it was the best way of getting around. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that must have been terrifying. Like, just when you thought things couldn't get worse, they're attacking. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was pretty incredible to see, like, a film version of, even mm-hmm. if it's brief. But it's... I don't want to say it's incidental, but, like I said before, they're not dwelling on it. It's not like a war epic mm-hmm. but, yeah um so i think we 
given a flavour of the film. Yeah, I think we have. Yeah, I feel like maybe I could have done with a bit more time to process <laughs> what it's, I saw. It's very emotional, and a lot of what it's trying to say is around, it's kind of like a what, what if in their lives. What if they made this choice? What if this had happened instead of that? So it yeah. does kind of get you thinking about the what ifs of life. Mm, yeah, definitely. Which in everyone's life is going to look different. Of course, yeah. Um, so you'd recommend this to other people? Yeah, it was very good. Yeah, awesome. And presumably that means you'd be keen to see other films with this director and this cast or actors? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because... Uh... Trying to suss out other movies <laughs> for us to watch, or what? Well, a little bit, but also it's it's. I think it's interesting for people listening to be like, okay, was it good enough that it was like, oh, this was fine, I kind of enjoyed it, or mm-hmm. no, this was good, I want to see more work by this director. Because I, I did see that uh, the director and uh, Sophia Loren and Marcello Mastriani were in... A film a few years before this that was called Yesterday, Today and Tomorrow. I think it's like a anthology piece where they play three different couples. Mm. But I think that's more of a comedy. Mm. But yeah, that would be interesting to see. Perhaps not do for the podcast because it has absolutely no oh, connection. Oh, no, no. I'm not suggesting doing it for the podcast. I'm just suggesting watching it because I've heard it's meant to be good. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Carrie, for being a fantastic guest once again. Thanks for having me on. All right. And thank you for listening. Dasudanya, folks. Dasudanya. Arrivederci. Paka. So that's it for this episode, but before I go, I'd like to thank Sasha Ilukovic and the Highly Skilled Migrants for the use of their song Cold in our intro. You can find that song and the rest of their back catalogue on Bandcamp and Spotify. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us by leaving a rating at Apple Podcasts or at podchaser.com. That second one, Podchaser, even lets you rate individual episodes, so if this episode particularly stood out to you, you can let other listeners know that you enjoyed it. Recommending the show on social media is hugely helpful as well. If you can spare a moment or two to do that, it would really make my day. Thank you, thank you very much. Speaking of social media, please find us and say hi on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. You can also drop us a line at roosfilesunite at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, take care of yourselves, and bye for now. Mario!